poetry reading framed the On Being gathering this year. And we are so happy now to share these slices of beauty, elation, and contemplation with you. Here's how David White opened for us on Friday night. Thank you very much, Krista. Just a little touch of her virtuoso articulation. It's always a pleasure to, uh, well, I've only had the pleasure once, but it was an immense pleasure to be interviewed, where one is made to feel articulate, interesting, <laughs> debonair, suave, <laughs> and somewhot intelligent. Uh, she's, I always feel that uh, at the bottom of a real conversation is a real invitation. And uh, Krista makes, makes the invitation in a really marvelous way. So thank you very much for this invitation tonight. We'll give her another round of applause there. <clears throat> and speaking of invitations, this place also is a, a marvelous invitation, not only to us, but to a future that we want for ourselves. And uh, Churchill said we make our we shape our buildings and then they shape us. And these buildings have been shaped in a beautiful way. You look at the woodwork, the subtle greens here, the uh, blacksmithing in the, uh, in the light fixtures. It's just really marvelous, good work. So let's give a round of applause for the builders who made this place. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's it for, that, for tonight. You've done enough applauding. Yeah. And, uh, but I wanted to make a, a, a series of invitations to you through, uh, through a few poems. And uh, this is a piece uh, that uh, is the title poem from the book uh, called The Bell and the Blackbird. And The Bell and the Blackbird is an old meme in the Irish tradition. It's uh, the image of a monk standing on the edge of the monastic precinct in the old Celtic Christian days and uh, hearing the sound of a bell calling him to prayer. And he says to himself, that's, that's the most beautiful sound in the world. Yeah. But in the old Irish imagination, nothing is ever singular or simple. And at the same time, he hears the blackbird calling from outside of the monastic precinct. And he says to himself, that's also the most beautiful sound in the world. Yeah and you're left uh, contemplating the man standing there and you're not told which way he goes. Because of course, in the real conversation of life, we have no choice. Yeah? We are both called to a deeper sense and context of ourselves, and we're asked to actually to meet life as we find it. Yeah? There's always the great question, should I actually go deeper to a deeper context, a deeper understanding of myself and the whole situation before I actually hurl myself at reality, yeah? or should I do something now? And, and of course, as real human beings in real human communities and families and relationships, we do not get to choose between the two. We always have to deepen and we always have to be present in the world at the same time. So this is about holding that conversation. And it's really um, a little touchstone of the ultimate state that we're all trying to attain the bell and the blackbird. The sound of a bell still reverberating, the sound of a bell still reverberating, or a blackbird, a blackbird calling from a corner of the field. The sound of a bell still reverberating, or a blackbird calling from a corner of the field. 
asking you to wake into this life or inviting you deeper into the one that waits, asking you to wake into this life or inviting you deeper into the one that waits. Either way takes courage. Either way wants you to walk to the place where you find you already know you will have to give every last thing away. The approach that is also the meeting itself, without any meeting at all, that radiance you have always carried with you as you walk both alone and completely accompanied in friendship by every corner of the world crying Alleluia. Sound, the sound of a bell, the sound of a bell still reverberating. Or a blackbird, a blackbird calling from a corner of the field, asking you to wake into this life or inviting you deeper into the one that waits. Either way takes courage. Either way takes courage. Either way wants you to walk to the place where you find you already know you'll have to give every last thing away. The approach that is also the meeting itself, without any meeting at all. That radiance you have always carried with you as you walk both alone and completely accompanied in friendship by every corner of the world crying, Alleluia. The ultimate conversation where we, uh, we overhear our own voices in the voice of a stranger. Yeah. And it's interesting to think that we almost always meet the new self in the form of a stranger. And yet we live in a time of deep suspicion of strangers. And yet the new you looking back at you out of the mirror is always first perceived as a stranger and always turned away from. Yeah. And the first beckoning horizon in our life is always seen as one that will lead us to a place of nourishment and pilgrimage and uh, that will frighten us to death at the same time. So uh, the invitation by life is always to be more generous than you thought you could be. I had a good old friend, uh, John O'Donohue, and he and I used to uh, get together for philosophical and literary weekends. And, uh, and there was one time where uh, I was speaking out loud over dinner and I said, you know, my father's in a bit of trouble. I'm thinking of giving him some money. And he said, he's an Irish fellow and uh, a philosopher. Many of you may have read his work, actually, in Anam Karan. He passed away, tragically, uh, seven or ten years ago. And uh, I said, I'm thinking of giving my father some money. He said, how much are you thinking of giving him? I said, I, I don't know. I mean, I thought a thousand pounds, because it was in England, you know, so... A thousand pounds, he says, give two. Go beyond yourself, he said. Give two. I said, all right, I'll give two. He said, go beyond yourself again. <laughs> give three. I said, thank you, John. A friend indeed is a friend in need. You know, so. so anyway, I ended up giving him four in the end. But Because uh, <clears throat> I heard John's mind go get beyond yourself, you know, get over yourself, you know. Always be more generous than you thought you could be the first time. And uh, so anyway, it was about a year later, we were at another weekend we were having together at a place out in Connemara, and, 
And he said, you know, my sister's in a bit of trouble. I'm thinking of giving her some money, you know. <laughs> I said, how much are you thinking of giving, John? He said, I don't know. I, I thought, 500 euros. I said, go beyond yourself. And he said, ah, I remember this conversation. <laughs> anyway, he ended up around three or four in the end of the evening, you know. But it's always, isn't life always coming to our door saying, you're actually a little bit more generous than that, actually, yeah. You're larger than that, yeah. There's more about you than you think, yeah. It's constantly knocking on our door, asking us to be, to take the next step. So this is called, this is a piece from the same unpublished book called uh, Just Beyond Yourself. Yeah. Just beyond yourself. It's where you need to be. Just beyond yourself. It's where you need to be. Half a step into self-forgetting and the rest restored by what you'll meet. Yeah. Just beyond yourself, it's where you need to be. Half a step into self-forgetting and the rest restored by what you'll meet. There's a road always beckoning. There's a road always beckoning. When you see the two sides of it closing together at that far horizon and deep in the foundations of your own heart at exactly the same time. That's how you know it's the way you have to go. That's how you know it's the road you have to follow. That's how you know. It's just beyond yourself. It's where you need to be. Just beyond yourself. It's where you need to be. Half a step into self-forgetting. Half a step into self-forgetting. And the rest, the rest restored, by what you'll meet. There's a road always beckoning. When you see the two sides of it closing together at that far horizon and deep in your own heart at exactly the same time and deep, when you see the two sides of it closing together at that far horizon and deep in your own heart at exactly the same time, that's how you know it's the way you have to go. That's how you know it's the road you'll have to follow. That's how you know. It's just beyond yourself. It's where you have to go. One of the great uh, disciplines of human life, I've always felt, is, uh, is friendship. Yeah? And uh, a good friend is always inviting us out beyond ourselves. Yeah? And they're always attempting to address the better part of us. Yeah? Uh, hopefully through subtle diplomacy, <laughs> rather than coming at us head on, you know, with our sins and omissions. But uh, I often feel that by definition, uh, all long friendships are based on mutual forgiveness, yeah. because you will always, you will always trespass against your friend's sensibilities. You will always say the wrong thing at the wrong time. And they will have to forgive you. Yeah. And that's why they're still friends. Yeah. And you will have to forgive them too. And so just by definition, you've, you've been on a path of mutual forgiveness you know, and of knowing each other's sins and difficulties and omissions yeah, and still addressing both the better part of the other person and the future that you're both dedicated together. Yeah. 
So this is a, a little uh, lightning raid on friendship. Uh, because, uh, as Krista said, this uh, weekend is dedicated to a kind of deep friendship around the truth, uh, around uh, wanting to know the deeper context, you know, uh, deep friendship with different forms of belief that can still be in conversation with one another, uh, and um, a deep friendship with uh, people who are often made in quite a different way and have a different voice. You know. And so the axis of friendship is always along that frontier between what you think is you and what you think is not you. Friendship is a mirror to presence and a testament to forgiveness. Friendship not only helps us see ourselves through another's eyes, but can be sustained over the years only with someone who has repeatedly forgiven us for our trespasses as we must find it in ourselves to forgive them in turn. A friend knows our difficulties and shadows and remains in sight. A companion to our vulnerabilities more than our triumphs. A companion to our vulnerabilities more than our triumphs when we are under the strange illusion that we do not need them. An undercurrent of real friendship is a blessing exactly because its elemental form is rediscovered again and again through understanding and mercy. All friendships of any length are based on a continued mutual forgiveness. Without tolerance and mercy, all friendships die. In the course of the years, a close friendship will always reveal the shadow in the other as much as ourselves. To remain friends, we must know the other and their difficulties and even their sins and encourage the best in them, not through critique, but through addressing the better part of them the leading creative edge of their incarnation, thus subtly discouraging what makes them smaller, less generous, less of themselves. Through the eyes of a real friendship, an individual is larger than their everyday actions. And through the eyes of another, we receive a greater sense of our own personhood, one we can aspire to, the one in whom they have the most faith. Friendship is a moving frontier of understanding, not only of the self, and the other, but also of a possible and as yet unlived future. Friendship is the great hidden transmuter of all relationship. It can transform a troubled marriage. It can transform a troubled marriage, make honorable a professional rivalry, make sense of heartbreak and unrequited love, and become the newly discovered ground for a mature parent-child relationship. The dynamic of friendship is almost always underestimated as a constant force in human life. A diminishing circle of friends is the first terrible diagnostic of a life in deep trouble. A diminishing circle of friends is the first terrible di diagnostic of a life in deep trouble, of overwork, of too much emphasis on a professional identity, of forgetting who will be there when our armored personalities run into the inevitable natural disasters and vulnerabilities found in even the most average existence. Through the eyes of a friend, we especially learn to remain at least a little interesting to others. <laughs> when we flatten our personalities and lose our curiosity in the life of the world or of another, friendship loses spirit and animation, 
Boredom is the second great killer of friendship. Through the natural surprises of a relationship held through the passage of years, we recognize the greater surprising circles of which we are a part and the faithfulness that leads to a wider sense of revelation independent of human relationship. To learn to be friends, to learn to be friends with the earth and the sky, with the horizon and with the seasons, even with the disappearances of winter, and in that faithfulness take the difficult path of becoming a good friend to our own going. Friendship transcends disappearance. An enduring friendship goes on after death. The exchange only transmuted by absence. The relationship advancing and maturing in a silent internal conversational way, even after one half of the bond has passed on. But no matter the medicinal values of friendship, no matter the medicinal values of friendship, of being a true friend or sustaining a long, close relationship with another, the ultimate touchstone of friendship is not improvement. The ultimate touchstone of friendship is not improvement. The ultimate touchstone of friendship is witness. The privilege of having been seen by someone and the equal privilege of being granted the sight of the essence of another, to have walked with them and to have believed in them, and sometimes just have to have accompanied them, sometimes just to have accompanied them for however brief a span on a journey impossible to accomplish alone. Yeah. I think one of the uh, one of the remarkable things of, of life is uh, the ability to continue to make friendships. And I often think it's a sign of youthfulness. Yeah. We often think that our deep friendships are made when we're young and then there's kind of attrition around them and we just have a few left by the time. But uh, that also is the sign of a life in trouble. Yeah. But to have a sense of anticipation of about to be about to make a deep new friendship that will accompany you through the next epoch of your life. Yeah. And that's a lovely uh, imaginative invitation to make for yourself for this weekend. You know? That there are, there are many, many potential conversational friends who might be witness to us and accompany us through the years at this place. Yeah. And so I wanted to finish with a piece which is a it's a, it's a piece that's a series of invitations, really, and, and invitations that I'd, I'd like to make to you and that everyone here in uh, the On Being team and uh, at uh, uh, the Multiversity would like to make to you, too. And uh, I'm going to take you to one of my favorite places in County Clare, which is probably my second home in the world. And uh, the north of County Clare is a beautiful limestone mountain area looking out over Galway Bay and over to Connemara in the north. Yeah. And um, it's, full of, uh, it's full of ancient sites. Uh, it's one of the first inhabited places in Ireland. And uh, uh, the culture there goes back, you know, it's an unbroken native tradition that goes back 5,000 years to the Neolithic. Yeah. It's been tenuous at times, and it's been almost broken, but it's kept alive. Yeah. And many of these ancient sites are still visited today in a live, uh, contemporary, conversational way. Yeah. 
And the place I'm going to take you, you to now is a place called uh, Lobber Coleman. Yeah. And uh, Lobber in Ireland is a bed, uh, which uh, is a place where someone slept, actually. So it's more literally a place where someone lived and dwelt. So there are all kinds of lobbers. There's Lobber, uh, Diarmid and Grania. There's Lobber, uh, Porrick. There's um, our, uh, and on and on it goes. Uh, people who uh, of uh, often of great renown or sanctity who lived in a place. And uh, um, this uh, place, uh, Coleman's Bed, is named after the, uh, the extraordinary um, Irish Druidic monk who lived in that place. Yeah. And it's really, uh, Irish uh, Christianity was probably one of, I think, one of the finest representations of, uh, of that tradition, just because it was, uh, it was so full of articulation, of imagination, of artistry and of generosity towards the natural world, yeah. where they would see the voice of God in a blackbird as much as they would hear it in the bell uh, calling them to prayer. Yeah. And uh, they thought it very strange to choose between the human world and the natural world, and that human beings in many ways lived at a live frontier between those two horizons, and that, that's what makes us remarkable. Yeah. And so they spent a lot of time out in the wild in what they called green martyrdom. And uh, so, uh, but Coleman, uh, who lived in the sixth century, so in the 500s AD, um, was not just a wild, contemplative, virtuoso, meditational artist, you know. Uh, he also ran a very large monastery down in the plain of East Galway called Kilmacdua. So he had both worlds. He had the political world, which was transforming Europe through Irish people going out and founding monasteries in a time of chaos, you know, and laying down the future age that was to come. But he also had to keep his raw sense of spirituality alive, yeah. So he would work, he would uh, probably become exhausted, and then he would go up into the mountains to this place which was below a cliff and which had a, a thobber, which is a, a well. You've got to make sure you don't get your thobbers mixed up with your lobbers. Yeah. And your thobber is your, is your blessed well, yeah, and your lobber is your, is your bed. And the bed was a cave, and the thobber was the spring, which is a holy well, and he would drink from that. It was surrounded by watercress. Uh, it was surrounded by hazel trees. And it had a cliff at the back with peregrine falcons and ravens, which still to this day nest on the cliff. And then beyond it, from this cradled holding, you had this amazing biblical horizon of limestone. So to me, whenever I go there, it's always uh, like a representation of, th of the human body. We have this shelter, we have this cradling, we have this form, you know. And yet we are always, when we're fully human, only human when we're in conversation with something larger and that's taking us out of ourselves towards that horizon. So I went for years to this place, leading people up there. I take people to the west of Ireland every year and, and we go up uh, um, like bees to the hive up to uh, Coleman's bed. And after a few years, I started asking myself, why do we come to these places? Yeah. Why do we make, there's this ancient human dynamic you know, of pilgrimage, which is con we're constantly saying as human beings, over there is slightly more important than here where I'm standing, you know? 
and, and I'm going to make a journey out of going to that place, you know? And so we have them all over the world. We have Kyoto in Japan, we have Varanasi in India, we have Mecca, we have Jerusalem, we have Santiago de Compostela. And if you're an Elvis fan, you have Graceland, you know? <laughs> Something good happened there, yeah. Something, some kind of joyous voice, yeah, brought a different kind of energy into the human field of experience. Yeah. And I was saying to myself, what is it about Coleman's bed? Why do I keep taking people up there and why do we keep coming? So this was a beautiful question that I was working with for a good dozen years. And it was 12 years before I wrote this piece as a way of overhearing myself say what the invitations were. Yeah. And uh, one of, uh, there's an image at the beginning of the poem, which is, uh, which is an image of a contemporary of, of Coleman, St. Coleman, and uh, his, uh, his name was St. Kevin. And he was the kind of Irish St. Francis, because he had this remarkable experience with all the animals and birds. He was constantly losing his prayer book, and then an otter would bring it back, and then he'd... <laughs> lose it again and a stork would bring it, bring it, you know. You get the feeling he was just chucking it in the river at the end, you know, and they were just bringing it back. But, but Kevin was praying in his cell, you know, and the old Irish monks used to pray not with their hands together but with their hands out, yeah. And they also had a half-moon tonsure at the front and long hair at the back, so they lo looked incredibly cool, yeah. <laughs> and he was praying there, you've got to imagine him. And then suddenly a blackbird was, was uh, flying past and looked down and saw this wonderful palm there. So that's a lovely place to perch, so it flew down. And Kevin, being so compassionate towards the natural world, uh, decided he'd keep praying so as not to disturb the bird. But the bird looked around and said, this is a great old place for a nest. And so it started flying backwards and forwards and building a, a circle of twigs and feathers and and, and again, Kevin, being compassionate toward the bird, kept praying. And then finally the nest was done. But of course, didn't the blackbird lay an egg in the nest? Yeah. And so Kevin had to keep praying. And then, of course, there was a chick in the nest. Yeah. Kevin had to keep praying. And then the chick had to be fledged. And finally, mother and, and uh, daughter bird flew off into the wild blue yonder and Kevin could stretch and put his hands together. And, of course, it's an apocryphal story, but it's actually uh, really psychologically precise as to the phenomenology of deep meditation, um, of warming interior forms into light. Um, so that's the first invitation. So I'll take you up to Coleman's bed through these invitations, and, uh, and then we'll all say goodnight. Yeah. Make a nesting now. Make a nesting now, a place to which the birds can come. Think of Kevin's prayerful palm holding the blackbird's egg and be the one looking out from this place who warms interior forms into light. Make a nesting now, make a nesting now, a place to which the birds can come. Think of Kevin's prayerful palm holding the blackbird's egg and be the one looking out from this place who warms interior forms into light. Feel the way the cliff at your back gives shelter to your outward view. Then bring in from those horizons all discordant elements that seek a home. Be taught now among the trees and rocks how the discarded is woven into shelter. Feel the way things hidden and unspoken 
slowly proclaim their voice in the world, feel the way things hidden and unspoken, slowly proclaim their voice in the world, find that far inward symmetry to all outward appearances, begin to welcome back all you sent away, begin to welcome back all you sent away, be a new annunciation, make yourself a door through which to be hospitable, even to the stranger in you. Make yourself a door through which to be hospitable, even to the stranger in you. See, with every turning day, how each season wants to make a child of you again. See, with every turning day, how each season wants to make a child of you again, wants you to become a seeker after birdsong and rainfall. Watch how it weathers you into a testing in the tried and true. Tells you, with each falling leaf, to leave and slip away, even from the branch that held you. To leave and slip away, even from the branch that held you. To be courageous, to be courageous, to go when you need to, to be like that last word you'd want to say before you leave the world. Above all, be alone with it all, a hiving off, a corner of silence amidst the noise. Refuse to talk even to yourself and stay in this place until the current of the story is strong enough to float you out. Stay in this place until the current of the story is strong enough to float you out. Ghost then where others in this place have come before, under the hazel by the ruined chapel, below the cave where Coleman slept. Live in this place as you were meant to. And then, surprised by your abilities, become the ancestor of it all. The quiet, robust, and blessed saint that your future happiness will always remember. Make a nesting now, a place to which the birds can come. Think of Kevin's prayerful palm holding the blackbird's egg and be the one looking out from this place who warms interior forms into light. Feel the way the cliff at your back gives shelter to your outward view, then bring in from those horizons all discordant elements that seek a home. See with every turning day how each season wants to make a child of you again wants you to become a seeker after birdsong and rainfall. Watch how it weathers you to a testing in the tried and true, tells you with each falling leaf to leave and slip away. Tells you with each falling leaf to leave and slip away, even from the branch that held you. To be courageous, to go when you need to, to be like that last word you'd want to say before you leave the world. Above all, be alone with it all. Refuse to talk even to yourself and stay in this place until the current of the story is strong enough to float you out. Ghost then where others in this place have come before, under the hazel by the ruined chapel, below the cave where Coleman slept. Become the stream that makes the river flow, and then the sea beyond. Live in this place as you were meant to. And then, surprised by your abilities,
become the ancestor of it all, the quiet, robust, and blessed saint that your future happiness will always remember. At the end, you know, when I, after I'd written that last line, I said, oh, that's why we come. Yeah? And what would it be like? All of us have had the experience of looking back over our lives where our younger self did something that our future self is very thankful for. Yeah? You look back at that moment, you know, had you not gone out the door, had you not made the phone call, had you not made that promise, you would have a very different life now. You can go back, that person was the ancestor of your present future happiness. Huh? And the great question for this weekend is, how could you be the ancestor of your own future happiness? Huh? What conversation could you begin? What promise could you make? What promise even could you break? That would make you the ancestor of your future happiness. That you could come back to yourself this weekend and thank yourself for having stepped out on that path into a future which has made both a better world for yourself and the world in which you have given your gifts. Um, thank you very much.